I was thinking, in the Genesis 1, it says, when the Spirit of the Lord was brooding over the face of the deep, the life came forth. Creation happened. And I just sense a brooding of the Spirit here today. And I believe that there are hearts that walked in this building cold and dead, and the Spirit of the Lord is going to touch you. And you're going to be resurrected from that. I really sense that, that he is here. You know, as I said, Jesus is in the house. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he did then, he still does now. And he changes lives. Amen. Well, I'm going to talk about battle, the battlefield again today. If you'll stand with me, we're going to read four verses. I have my Bible right here. 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 26. I'm going to talk to you about bullying words. Bullying words. And let's read, starting at verse 26. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? I love this next sentence from David. Who is this jerk? That's not what we would say, but, but he was more biblical. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? That he should defy the armies of the living God. That was David's issue with the whole thing. David's issue with Goliath was he brought reproach on Israel and was defying the God he loved. So David was, was really troubled by this and angered by this. Well, the people answered him in this manner saying, so shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now here comes his oldest brother, Eliab, verse 28. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? Do you hear his verbiage there? You little pipsqueak, what are you doing here where the real men are? And then he accused him. He said, I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what all of us have said at one time or another, well, what have I done now? And then I love what he said. Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? David saw the greater cause. He saw the purpose of God for Israel. He saw what God had ordained them to do. And he saw that being reproached and hindered and attacked. And he said, my cause is God's cause. And that's what made him great. Father, thank you for your word today. And we pray that you will bless it to our hearts. Would you pray with me, church, and say, Lord, teach me today. Renew my mind today. I receive your word into my spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Tell your neighbor, you're more than a conqueror through Jesus. Tell your neighbor that. It's good to see all of you here today. Now, Kathy's not here. She's resting today, but she's watching. And she said, now, you promised me you won't make it about me. I said, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. But I'm going to make it about her. I want us to all say, hi, Kathy. Hi, Kathy. Because she's right there. That's the power of technology. Told you I was going to do it. Now, 
Now, in David's battle with Goliath, we've seen so far, it was a spiritual battle, folks. This was a spiritual battle. This wasn't between two he-men, two superstar warriors. This was a battle that was spiritual at its root. Here's why. Because Goliath and the Philistines were standing right in the middle of the road of redemption, blocking it. Because God had said, out of the Jewish people are going to come my Messiah. When he called Abraham in Genesis 12, verse 1, Abraham was the father of the Jewish race, the father of the Semites. And he said, out of you, Messiah is going to come to bless the whole earth. And so here they are. It's, it's, it's centuries later, centuries after Abraham, but now they're settled in the promised land, but they're under a, a king who is defeated. And because the king is defeated, they're defeated. Because leadership trickles down. And so here they are in a defeated condition, and they're defeated, listen, by words. Not one sword has been brandished in the battle that has kind of taken place or about to take place here in this valley. They're there together for battle, but they haven't fought yet. It's only been by words. And by words, Goliath has defeated them. The power of words has defeated them. He's a bully, and he has been preaching and declaring bullying words, and he has beaten them down verbally into paralysis, into defeat. Because there's power in words, folks. I believe words are more powerful than a sword. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You can bring healing words or destructive words, loving words or hateful words, encouraging words or discouraging words. Words can build up. Words can tear down. Words can scar you for life if you let them. It says he sent his word and it healed them. There is power in the spoken word. And that's one of the ways that we're like our creator because he is a speaking God. And and he said, let there be. And from his words came the creation. Now we don't have that power. But what we do have is the power to build someone up, tear someone down, encourage somebody, discourage somebody, prod them forward or stop them in their tracks. You can say the wrong thing to a child and ruin that child's life. Some of you today have not risen to what God wants you to rise to because you have listened to words that were spoken to you and you didn't know how to deal with it. And those words told you that you couldn't do it, that you weren't capable, that you weren't lovable, that you weren't likable. Those words tore you down and they've haunted you. And you don't know it, but they speak to you all the time. That's why some of you don't think much of yourself at all because somebody said that to you. Oh, words are powerful. And what I found in studying this story of David and Goliath to get ready for this series, I never saw before. I saw that David encountered a battle before he ever went up against him physically. Before he ever encountered Goliath with the sling, he experienced battle, battles with words, and they came from three key people in his life. Three key people in David's life attacked him verbally 
when he was about ready to go fight Goliath. What's amazing to me is the minute that David heard the threatening words of Goliath, he was filled with righteous anger. How dare you talk about my God that way? And how dare you defy the armies of the living God? I'm not going to allow you, Goliath, to to keep reproaching God's people and the God who I love. And he was ready, the minute that he heard Goliath, he was ready to go against him. He was immediately ready in his heart to go against him. He didn't need to go pray about it. He didn't need to go think about it. He immediately said, don't let your hearts melt because of him. Let me go at him. I killed a lion. I killed a bear. It's in my resume. Resume. It's in the file cabinet. I took them. I'll take you. God empowered me to take the lion and bear. He's going to empower me to take you. You're no badder than they were. And what struck me, was it was at this very juncture when he's about to release the giant killer that God had made him to be. He's about to rise into his destiny. He's about to make history. He's about to step onto the pages of history in one of the greatest victories known to mankind. And right there at that crossroads and that juncture, three people rose up and attacked him verbally. They were important people. One was his oldest brother. The second one was his king. The third one was the giant. And he dealt with every one of them. Now, I've got to tell you something today, church. I'm bringing this message because I want you to know in spiritual warfare, words matter. Words matter. Whose report you believe matters. And what you say matters. And so I see that David had to encounter and and deal with these battles before he did Goliath. So let me just share with you one at a time the type of words that were spoken to him and how he overcame them all. Because the same way he was spoken to, you're being spoken to or have been spoken to or will be spoken to, particularly when you're at the point of a great victory. So here comes the devil through people. First, his oldest brother spoke belittling words to him. Belittling words. His oldest brother, Eliab, said to him, now we've already read it, but I'll read it again, because boy, you can just hear, you can just hear the belittling in, in his statement. He said, why'd you come down here? And with whom have you left Those few little sheep in the wilderness, little bro. Can you hear it? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart. You're not hiding your motives from me, for you have come down to see the battle. Listen, Eliab's words were custom designed to knock the wind out of David's sails. He's already said Let me at the giant and I will take him down. So instead of his brother encouraging him, he says, hey, hey, little bro, what are you doing up here with the real men? Shouldn't you be on the backside of the desert with those few little sheep? Funny how Eliab called himself and everybody around him the real men when they were all hiding in their tents. And the only real man was saying, let me at him. (laughs) He who tells you what they would do if they were in your shoes rarely know what to do in their own shoes. 
Now, he says, why do you have those few sheep in the wilderness? He's defining him down. He's belittling him. He's belittling him because David was really feeling the anointing of God at this point. Let me add him. I'm bringing this giant down. Hey, little bro, what are you doing with these few amongst us? Why have you left those few little sheep? Why don't you get back to your little task that daddy has given you and leave the battle with real men? David, you're nothing but a small time shepherd boy. That's what he's saying to him. You have no business being here with the real soldiers. But here was David, folks. He's a giant killer in his heart. He's under a major grace from God. He's about to go up against a giant with nothing but a sling and a stone, and he's going to win. He's God's winner. And look how God's winner is being shot down by words. You better watch words that come at you when you're about to go for a major victory. He didn't stop there. He belittled him. He didn't discern the grace of God on his life. He didn't see what was in David, what was really in him. And he was trying to categorize him according to his own opinion. People will always try to define you down who don't see God's grace on you. Do you know what it means to be defined down? That's when people don't see God's hand on you. They don't see what God wants to do in you. They don't discern the gift that's on you. And so they define you down. Who do you think you are? Think you're going to go climb that mountain. You're going to go start that ministry. You're going to go kill that giant. You're going to go win all those people to Jesus. You're going to launch this, launch that. Take that step of faith. Step out on the water and walk. Who do you think you are? That's, that's what comes at giant killers who are headed towards a great victory. And, and he didn't stop there. He passed judgment on his motives. He said, you're full of pride and you're full of evil. That's coming from his big brother. Thank you so much, Eliab, for believing in me. You know what Eliab's problem was? He was jealous. Oh, he was jealous. I guarantee he was jealous. And, and how often do we encounter the green-eyed monster disguised as something else that is coming at us through somebody, and they say they're coming at us for one reason, but but if we really had discernment, we'd realize they're jealous. Joseph was given the coat of many colors by his father, Jacob, and that coat of many colors represented the favor of the father. And so Joseph had the favor of the father, and walking around, displaying the favor of the father with this beautiful multicolored coat. And his 11 brothers, it says in the Bible, were fuming with jealousy and envy at him. They threw him down into a pit. They stripped the coat of many colors off of him, which represented trying to strip off of him the favor of the father. And they sold him into slavery. Why? The Bible says they did it because they were jealous. It says when Jesus was crucified, turned over to the authorities and crucified, the Bible says that the Pharisees and the Sadducees did it because they were envious and jealous. Jealousy hung Jesus on the cross. It's what God used to get him on the cross. Jealousy sold Joseph away. And jealousy, I believe, was moving through Eliab when he said, David, who do you think you are? Get back with the sheep. Because he was there when Samuel visited the house 
And Eliab was the first one to be brought before Samuel. And everybody thought, he's going to be the one chosen to be king. He's tall. He's handsome. He's impressive. And God spoke to Samuel and said, don't judge by your eyes, but judge the heart because that's what I do. And I don't want Eliab. They went through all the brothers. Finally, there was David. And when David came walking in, the least of the least, God said, there's my man. Well... Do you think that Eliab took that in stride and, and patted David on the back afterwards and said, hey, praise God, you're the next king of Israel. Glory to God. Make room for me somewhere in your kingdom. Do you think he did that? He walked away seething. Who does he think he is? Man, Samuel missed God. It should have been me. Unfortunately, when you stand above your peers... And you decide, you know, I'm really going to step out in faith. I'm going to do something for God. I'm going to make a mark for God in the world. I read recently, uh, those of you that make a mark, be careful of people with erasers. Because jealousy is always there, lurking in the bushes, looking out at you. People don't like it. Those, they, they don't like seeing you excel. They don't like it. Very few people can rejoice with you when you're successful. And so that's Eliab. So when you're engaged with him, I want you to notice how David handled it. It says, here's Eliab telling him this, you're, you're evil, you're, you're full of pride, and you're out of your place. And it says, David, turn around, and he just walked away. Folks, there are some people you just need to walk away from. There are some voices you just need to walk away from. Don't give it time to talk to you. Listen, don't come down off the wall. Don't come down off the wall of your success, down off the wall of the will of God for you. Don't come down and mess with people who have nothing good to say to you. I'd rather go where I'm celebrated, not tolerated. I want to go where somebody believes in my calling. I want to go where I'm encouraged, not discouraged. The older I get, the less time I spend with people that want to run me down or, or define me down or tell me I can't do it. I want to be around people who say, Jeff, I see the call of God on your life, and I believe God with you, and I'm going to stand with you. That's what I want to be around. When I first started out, um, got saved, my hair was down to here, and parted down the middle, and 130 pounds soaking wet, I was a high school dropout, and yet the fire of God was burning in my heart to preach the word of God. And I needed people around me who could affirm that and encourage me and say, go for it, even though it looks like all the odds are against you, go for it. And one Sunday morning, I walked into a church because I didn't know what else to do but to go to church. I've been filled with the Spirit. I was burning to preach the Word. I walked into this really impressive-looking church building. And when I walked in, man, they were looking me up and down. I had on my bell-bottom blue jeans <laughs> and a T-shirt and uh, my long hair. And I thought, well, I'm going to go in there where all these people love Jesus. And they looked at me, and I could hear Eliab in the way they looked at me. What in the world are you doing in here with us real Christians? This place was God's frozen chosen. I want to tell you, you could ice skate to the seats. It was so cold in there. There was no love of God. I never went back. Thank God I found people that didn't care what my hair looked like. And can I tell you today, I don't care if your hair is purple. I don't care if it's pink. I don't care if it's blue. I don't care how you come in here. We want you in here. Because God loves people. And, and, and you, may have a, you may be a giant killer and nobody sees it, but I want to be the one who sees it. 
And I want to encourage you. There's some people you don't walk, you don't sit and listen to, you walk away. David turned and walked away and started talking to somebody else. He said, well, I've had all this fun. I can stand. You've got nothing good to say to me. I'm out. And he walked away. Left Eliab standing there. But after Eliab's belittling words, the second verbal attack came against David right when he was about to kill a giant. Here comes the words. Doubting words from King Saul. Look at what Saul said to him. Saul said to David, you're not able. Well, praise God. Thank you, King Saul, for all the encouragement and patting me on the back. You are not able. Oh, those words are so powerful. You are not able. You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. And then he told him why he didn't think he was able. He said, because you're a youth and he a man of war from his youth. Look carefully at those first four words. You are not Abel. If anybody should have encouraged David, it should have been King Saul. Because not only was he his king, but he was the head of the army. And yet he said, hey, you're the only one with courage here, but hate to break it to you, you're not able. You're not able because you're only a youth. And he defined him down. Church, listen. Some of you have been defined down and don't even know it. There is a call on some of you. And the voice, I don't know from where, close ones. You didn't get any closer to David than his own brother and his own king. These were cutting words, discouraging words. These were words that just, took, just popped your balloon. And you've got a call. You, 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 you've got, Jesus has stirred in your heart. There's a fire that has burned there. But you haven't done it because somebody said, you're not able I'm going to reverse that curse. Let me tell you something. If God told you to do it, you're able because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. People told me, you're not able. You're a high school dropout. You have no college. How are you going to do this? You're all messed up. You're out of the drug culture. How are you going to do anything? But the word of God was shut up in my bones like a fire, and I could not keep it in. And those who said, you are not able, well, listen, they're not telling me that anymore because Jesus is able to stand you on your feet. Jesus is able to open your mouth. Jesus is able to provide for you. Jesus is able to speak it into existence. Jesus is able. What he calls you to do, he graces you to do. And here was this giant killer itching to change history. And he's being told, you're not able. Saul looked at him totally in the natural. And that's how we judge people, don't we? We do it all the time. We look at their appearance. We look at the way they're dressed. We look at their educational background. We look at their family roots. And we size them up accordingly. And we say, here's who they are. Because of the way they look, the way they sound. Here's who they are. That's why the Apostle Paul said, so from now on, we do not think about what people are like by looking at them. Did you catch that? You're looking at something that may not look like much, but you don't know it could be a giant killer. They could be the next Billy Graham. Billy Graham got into an elevator one day when he was very young, and he had just started out, but he was famous already. This was early 50s when this happened. He, he launched worldwide in 48. He stepped into an elevator, and there was this woman in there, 
And they met, and she said, well, what's your name? I, my name is Billy Graham. She said, you're that evangelist? And he said, I am. And she said, wow, what a disappointment. And you know what he did? He realized she was looking at him and saying, you're not what I expected. Somebody did that to me in the altar just a few weeks ago. I listen to you on the radio all all the time, but you don't look like what I expected. I said, well, what did you expect? And they said, oh, somebody six foot five and great big, and you're kind of (laughs) scrawny, which I took as a compliment, by the way, these days. They didn't mean it bad. They weren't being mean. But they, they were saying, you're not what I thought you would look like because the way you sound on the radio. Well, praise God. Jesus said, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead, judge correctly. So you know what David did? He shook off those doubting words by sharing a testimony of past spiritual victories. He said, no, 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 it's not about me. God gave me victory over a lion. God gave me victory over a bear. And God will give me victory over this giant. But then Saul not only didn't discern who David was, what he had in God, but he also almost sent him to his death because he tried putting his armor on David because he didn't think David could do it without his armor. It says, then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and heavy battle clothes. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. And I love what it says. It says, he, he said, I can hardly move. He's walking like this in this armor. He says, I've never worn this. And I love it. It says, he took them off Again, see, Saul's armor represented the inefficient weaponry of the world that could not win a spiritual battle. Worldly armor is like aiming a squirt gun at a forest fire. You will never defeat satanic attacks with worldly armor. But isn't it like the world? Anytime we're in trouble, they want to put their armor on us and say, this is what you fight with. The world will hand you positive thinking in the place of Bible truth. The world will tell you to have faith in yourself instead of having faith in God. It'll hand you self-help books instead of the book of all books. Isn't this what the world does? It'll put you on a drug instead of getting you filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you something. If you want to really win the battle, get filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm standing up here because of the Holy Spirit. I walk in the Holy Spirit every single day. I say, oh God, fill me with the Holy Spirit. You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Then you will be my witnesses. We, we stand not in our own strength, but in the strength of the mighty Holy Spirit of God. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. What a gift. It transformed my life. It's the reason I got called. It's where the fire came from that got on my heart to preach the word of God. I am a debtor to the Holy Ghost. David rejected Saul's armor. And he said, you know what? This isn't what God has taught me. I don't, this isn't familiar to me. I won my battle with the lion by faith. And I defeated the bear by faith. And I'm going to defeat this giant by faith. 
In a battle with giants, church, always use the spiritual weaponry that God has given to us, the armor of God, the word of God, the name of Jesus, the blood of the lamb, the power of prayer. There are things the devil cannot resist, cannot defeat, cannot win over. And those are the spiritual weapons. That's why Paul said, I use God's mighty weapons, not those made by men, to knock down the devil's strongholds. So David walked away from the armor and he went down to a brook and he pulled out five smooth stones with sling in hand and Saul's worldly armor behind. He approached the giant and this is where the third verbal attack happened. His brother had belittled him, belittling words. Saul had spoken doubting words, but the giant spoke spoke threatening words. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. What a picture. Today, David, the birds and the beasts are going to be eating your dead body. Boy, he knew how to use those words, didn't he? He knew how to intimidate by words. But what I love about David, he didn't, he didn't give in. He, he refused to give up verbal ground. Look at what he said. David said to the Philistine in retort, you come to me with a sword, you come to me with a spear, you come to me with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. David was using the name before Jesus ever said in my name. He's saying, you, Goliath, you place all your confidence in your spear, in your shield, in your weaponry, in your armor bearer, but my faith is in the name of the Lord because, Goliath, what you don't get, but I do get, this is a spiritual battle and God is going to give you to me. Then I love it. He literally reversed Goliath's curse. He said, you got it all backward. The birds and the animals aren't going to be feasting on me today. The birds and the animals are going to be feasting on you. You see how he didn't seed any ground? He said, I love all the wills. Watch this. All the certainty. He said, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day, today, I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. Goliath, they're not only going to eat your dead body, but all your compadres with you. All of them. By the way, he got five smooth stones out of that brook because Goliath had four brothers. He said, if your brothers come against me after I've taken you down with one, because I'm not planning on missing, I got one for each of them. That's what you call certainty. And listen to what his motive was. Then when I do this, when I defeat you, Goliath, all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. Do you hear what his motive was? His motive was not for fame or fortune, which he got immediately, but his motive was the glory of the Lord and to make God known to his generation. That was his motive. Now, you know, I believe at this point, David had already won the battle. He had deflected all of those negative, discouraging words, every one of them. 
He deflected the belittling words of his brother, the doubting words of his king, and the threatening words of the giant. He, he deflected all of them. He was like Teflon David. None of these are going to stick to me. None of those words found fertile ground in him. Have, have words like that found fertile ground in you? They have in me before. And I had to realize what was there talking to me, which leads me to my last point, and then I'm going to close. Watch this. Not only did he have to watch out what was said to him and not receive what was said to him, belittling, doubting, threatening words, but he had to watch what he said to himself. And do you know who talks to you more than anybody else in the world? You do. You talk to you more than anyone else in the world. You talk to yourself. You've been talking to yourself while I've been preaching. Whether or not you agree with me, whether or not you like what I wore, whether, whether or not, you know, you like the music. Um, some of you have been thinking about it. You've been talking to yourself. And some of you have been saying, well, you know what? This is a great message, but I can't do that. That's you talking to you. Some of you have said, well, that's not for me because I've tried it before. That's you talking to you. And do you know that you counsel you? that you talk to yourself, and, and, and David knew exactly how to talk to himself. We know this because of the Psalms. David said, why are you cast down within me, O my soul? Hey, soul, why are you cast down within me? Hope thou in God, for you will yet praise him who is the health of your countenance and your God. He talked to himself. He said, it says when he came back, from the battlefield and Ziklag was burned and all of his, his wives and children and belongings were kidnapped by the Amalekites. And all of his men were talking about stoning him to death. It says David got down on his knees and David talked to himself. And the Bible says he encouraged himself. He encouraged himself when nobody else would encourage him, when nobody else was around to say it's okay, when his own people were, were turning on him. He encouraged himself in the Lord his God. He knew how to talk to him. He said to himself, it's not over till it's over. It's not over until God has had his say. Even though it looks bad, my God can give me the victory right now. He's done it before and he can do it again. And he was talking to himself. Some of you have already built a case against yourself. You're thinking to yourself right now, well, you know what, I was born under a bad sign. I'm not lovable. I'm not very smart. Don't have much talent. I wish I could do what Jeff does or somebody else does because really uh, God kind of passed me over in the gift department and I just feel insignificant. That's the way I've always been and the way I'll always be. And I want to say, stop it. Quit talking to yourself that way. And then you wonder why people say, how come you never smile? Because you're always listening to yourself, talking yourself down. It matters what you say to yourself. You say, well, the Bible doesn't say a thing about that. Oh, yes, it does. Ephesians 5, 19 says, speak to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. First three words, speak to yourself. But here's what you speak to yourself. Speak the Psalms. Speak the Word of God. Speak hymns that talk about the glory of God. Be careful what you advise yourself and what you counsel yourself and the opinions you give yourself about yourself. You know what? I believe if I could go into a juvenile detention center and convince those teenagers 
of what I just told you, that they would start believing that God loves them and has a plan for their life and they have value. And if they could quit telling themselves what they do about themselves, I really do believe I could empty out that place and they would not go back into crime. Because I believe you do crime when you don't think much of yourself. David said, I can beat him. I'm more than a conqueror. My God is with me. The battle is the Lord's. This thing is a done deal. It's only a matter of me going towards him. And he won. So I want us to stand together today, can we?